Thank you, Pastor Chad. Uh, really, it's just awesome to be among family. That's what I really feel like this morning because my wife, Dana, and I, we typically attend the 11 o'clock service. And so this is kind of home for us. This is not like a, just a visitation experience. But I want to thank Pastor Chad for giving me the opportunity to be here uh, to share with you a little bit with my heart about my heart this morning. Uh, last week, Pastor Chad talked about the road to discipleship, the road to discipleship. And in that chapter seven of, of Matthew, there's some very difficult verses in the Bible there that we have to contend with. And it's the did we nots. And in Matthew chapter seven, it says, did we not cast out demons? Did we not prophesy? Did we not perform miracles? And all of that points to one unique conversation. That is the road to discipleship for us is something that has to do with our intimacy and our relationship with Jesus himself, not our performance. But we get to uh, Acts chapter 16, which is really one of the most important chapters in the entire Bible because of this Macedonian call. So if you do just a, a quick historical overview, what you're going to realize is that in, Ma in Acts chapter 16, this Macedonian call, Paul is actually one of many characters in this transformational, this transitional moment, really in the history of the church, because in this moment is where the church and the gospel was born really in Western civilization and in Western culture. Because of the Macedonian call, this is actually where the gospel was then eventually taken to Rome. And then, of course, that is why we are here today. So it's cool to kind of read this story, which is, again, uh, so important to the history of Christianity in, in itself. But there's some unique characters that we want to talk about. So the first one is, we've got Paul, who's a rejected preacher and missionary. We've got a businesswoman. We've got a victim of human trafficking. We got a corrupt legal system. And we have a suicidal soldier. And when we look at these characters, we don't really uh, see them as uh, important people probably, or the people that God would choose or use for one of the most important chapters in the entire Bible. But to me, this sounds like an excellent recipe for success. So we're gonna read Acts chapter 16, verses six through 10 together, and then we're gonna pray. Starting in uh, verse six, Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. When they came to the border of Mycenae, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the spirit of Jesus would not allow them to do so. So they passed by Mycenae and went down to Troas. And during the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Father, I thank you so much for the opportunity we have this morning to dig into your word, to be together, Lord, to really understand what it means for us to be on that road of discipleship, to follow you passionately. So Lord, we thank you for this time. God, we thank you in advance for what you're going to do. In Jesus' name, amen. So here's a question for you. Have you ever had something not go your way? Have you ever had something not go your way? I've had a lot of things not go my way in life, and probably you could share some of your stories as well. But for some of us, and you're, no, you're gonna know exactly what to do as soon as I make this statement or I sing this jingle. 
So no one told you life was gonna be this way? Yes, we all feel like, we all feel like maybe our lives are stuck on the first verse of a friend's episode, right? You all know what to do in that moment. But like you, I've had a lot of things not go uh, the way I wanted to in my life. And so I'm gonna share just a couple quick stories here. Uh, anyone ever heard of break dancing, right? The old, the old school dance, you know, that started back in the 80s? Well, when I was about six or seven, I fell in love with break dancing. Now, the problem is I wasn't really good at that, but you couldn't tell me that. So when I was about six or seven years old, I entered a break dancing competition. Okay, I know it's shocking, but I did. I entered a break dancing competition, and in that break dancing competition for about five minutes, I did this. Right, and I did the backspin. That's like literally the only breakdancing moves I knew then. They are probably the only ones I know now, but that actually did not go my way. Now, another part of my life, um, I'm actually a big fan of the pugilistic arts, okay, the art of boxing, right? So I love the sport of boxing, and when I was in the Marine Corps, I had the opportunity to try it out. Well, so I love the sport of boxing then, I still love the sport of boxing now, and so I was kind of excited for the first time in my life to try out boxing. And so what happened was I get in the ring with the first guy that I'd ever boxed in my entire life, and I totally trashed this guy. I'm talking like bloody nose, like it was, it was awesome, and I, I feel bad saying it, but man, I was like, I'm going pro. I mean, that's basically... What happened? I thought after my first boxing match, for sure, I had the gifts, I had the goods, I was going to go pro. So what happens is, is I fight a couple more fights, and you know what? They turned out pretty well too. And so I got more and more excited about my newfound professional career as a pro boxer. And then one day I got in the ring with a guy who was one weight class above mine, just one just one weight class above, but he had been training longer. He was faster. He was stronger than I was. And so I get in the ring with this guy, and we're in, the, we're in round one of this boxing match. And uh, we're kind of, you know, getting into it a little bit. And he hit me so hard. He hit me so hard that I thought I had lost my face. I was literally looking on the floor for my face. And then in that moment, I decided right then, right there, I was no longer going to be a professional boxer. That did not go my way. In fact, I cheated just so I could get kicked out of the ring, get DQ'd. And I won't tell you how I cheated, but just know this, gentlemen, it wasn't pretty, okay? So, yeah, that didn't quite go my way either. So our whole lives, we have things not go our way. Paul's exactly the same He's clearly not having the best of luck trying to do something that you think that God would be very supportive of, that God would be in favor of, and that's preaching the gospel. He had the passion, he had the desire, he had the dream, but the Bible tells us that he was constrained, not by the enemy, not by the devil himself, not by a corrupt government, but by Jesus. The spirit of Jesus was preventing him from preaching the gospel. And I have read this probably a hundred times. And I'm asking myself now, why in the world would God prevent someone from preaching the gospel to someone else? And here's what I think the key is, or at least a key. 
in one of the most pivotal moments in the whole Bible, it's about being more interested in following Jesus than it is following your dreams. And so for the rest of our time today, we're gonna to be talking a little bit about this idea about, of dreams because dreams are obviously important in the Bible, right? Dreams and visions have meaning in the Bible. So for example, here's some examples. They warn, they warn leaders of future events. They provide revelation for prophets and they warn us against uh, decisions that we might make towards the future. They reveal his divine destiny for our lives. They answer recent petitions and prayers. So we know in the Bible, God talks a lot about dreams. And we know the Bible has many different meanings and understandings about dreams. And dreams are important to us and they are important to our culture as well. So do you have a dream is kind of the new, what do you wanna be when you grow up? Dreams come and, and dreams go. It's almost like Oprah herself is handing them out saying, you've got a dream, I've got a dream. We all get dreams. Dreams are a part of our culture, they're a part of our language, they're a part of our society, they're a part of who we are as people. And we constantly feel like, especially when it comes to the kingdom things, that we're always being asked, or we're always being told about our dreams that we have for the kingdom. What's your dream? And no matter how big and no matter how small, dreams give us direction. They give us a horizon to shoot for. They give us something to aim for. That's the power and the value of dreams. But let's talk about horizons because those are equally important when it comes to dreams. So we need to understand this concept just a little. A local horizon gives shape, it gives form. It's the trees and the mountains. It's the places where we like to take selfies, right? It's the hashtag golden hour and everybody knows what I'm talking about. You do the little duck face and the sun is shining in your eyes and you hold out the phone and you're like, right? Those are local horizons that give us context and meaning. But there are also true horizons. And a true horizon is one that bends around the earth. It has infinite sort of uh, a movement in all directions. A true horizon is what you see when you're 35,000 feet in the air and the earth bends. It bends without ending. There's also an astronomical horizon. There's no form, there's no shape because it's up and it's everywhere all the time. It's what we see when we gaze into the heavens and we try to see past the stars and the planets and the moon. It's endless, it's everywhere all at once. So local horizons give you a limited conversation. It's a snapshot, it's a moment. True horizons actually speak to us because they are constantly calling us forward. They're constantly calling us towards them, they bend. Astronomical horizons give you a sense of wonder and a sense of awe when we look at them. And there's a unique relationship between horizons and dreams. Because most of the time when we think about dreams, what we're really thinking and talking about are local horizons. They are defined, they have shape, 
They have structure. So this looks like maybe the career that you want to pursue. It looks like maybe the job that you want to land. It looks like maybe your dream home or something that you really want to accomplish in this life. And those things are great. They aren't bad or wrong. Those things are wonderful, but they're local horizons. They're things that you can paint. The other part is when we talk about God and he talks about dreams, most of the time he's talking about a true horizon. It's a dream that bends. It's a dream that has constant movement and we can only pursue them. We actually can't paint them. So here's a takeaway when we start talking about the relationship between dreams and horizons. God's horizons are meant to be pursued, not painted. Now catch this. What this means is, as you follow Jesus, the dreams will actually follow you. And most often when we say, Jesus, here's my dream, make it happen, we get frustrated because it doesn't come to pass in our timing or it doesn't happen the way that we think it ought to happen. And we get mad and we get frustrated because we want God to do these things with us. We want God to do these things for us. We want him to help us paint our horizons. And again, this is not bad or wrong. It's just different. We call those things blessings. And sometimes we convince ourselves that, that maybe we've entered this contract with God that he is supposed to deliver all of our dreams. He's supposed to deliver the things that we desire in our heart. He's supposed to deliver what we want and what we need. Isn't all, after all, isn't that what the Bible says that he gives you the desires of your heart? So I pray this, I pray that we never actually forget the context of who God is. He is so holy that he doesn't even have an opposite. If you were to take all that the enemy is, all that Satan is, and as much evil as you can possibly imagine and have it unleashed on the earth, even that is still not God's opposite because it has limitations. God's goodness, God's love, God's power, God's desire for our lives is without limitations. His goodness has no measurement. His promises have no ending. His love is eternal. And so when we start talking about God's dreams and God's horizons, we must put into context and understand that they are unending. This is the true horizon that God gives us. And the way that we combat this, the way that we typically address this in our lives is that we seek encounters. Now, believe it or not, you would think that encounters with God are a good thing. And I'm praying this morning that many of us are encountering God in our lives. But here's the truth. We're actually not created for encounters. We're created to have a deep discipleship and an intimate relationship with Jesus. Because encounters create cycles. And we get stuck on these cycles. And, and many of you see this in your own life. And even as I'm talking and preaching right now, you're thinking about the cycles that you've been on or maybe you are on with God. And so what do we do? We go to church, we read our Bible, we pray, we worship, and then we try harder. 
and we try to convince Jesus of our dreams and we go to church and we read the Bible and we pray and we worship louder and we keep trying to convince God to help us paint our own horizons. But in truth, it doesn't look anything like this at all. And it simply doesn't work because Jesus exists in all horizons, both local, true, and astronomical. He's present in all of it. He's there in the midst of all of it and always moving and speaking. So the church is always growing. Despite what you may hear on the news or despite what it may feel like, even in our own cultural context, I promise you, go on a missions trip. Go on a mission trip somewhere else in the world and you will see God growing and building his church. It's always growing. The Bible is always active. How many times have I read this book in my life and still so many times when I read it, it impacts me or it changes me or I see something maybe I didn't see the last time I read it. Prayer is a constant invitation and conversation for us to engage and encounter him in unique and special ways. Worship is an orientation of our life towards him. And the question isn't if we are worshiping, the question is what are we worshiping? So God is always moving. He's always speaking. He's always in the midst of doing something. And the question for us is, are we willing to jump in with him? Are we willing to join with him in the spirit of what God is doing, where he is moving, and where he is calling us to? Are we willing to pursue that true horizon? You know, Exodus 24 talks about the story of Moses where God calls him up to the Mount of Sinai to get the Ten Commandments. That's basically where this story happens on the first occasion, not the second one. So Moses goes up the mountain and it's, it's, it's such a crazy aspect to the story and I wish I had more time to unpack it here. But Moses waits six days on top of the mountain before God calls him in on the seventh day. Because Moses wasn't there to just encounter God. Moses was actually there so that he could get instructions from God. So the spirit of God is always moving. It's always calling us. And I think this is why Paul was able to shift those gears so quickly and seemingly so easily because he was pursuing a horizon, not a painted horizon. He was following Jesus so that the dream would actually follow him. You see, the dream was to carry the gospel to people who had not heard it, the Gentiles. He wanted to show them who Jesus was. He wanted to have them experience what Jesus could do in their lives because of what it had done in his life. And he was willing to pursue Jesus more than he was willing to pursue his own dreams. So this morning, what I really need you to understand, what I really need you to know, is that getting rejected or failure with your dreams is actually not the worst thing that can happen to you or happen to your faith. Becoming tameable is. Allowing that rejection and that failure then to begin to dictate how you're going to live your life from this day forward. When you let life and you let culture and you let circumstances 
walk you around like a dog and force us to encounter him more than we seek him. That's when our faith is in trouble. That's when our dreams and our horizons are off. A church and a people who stop pursuing those horizons, they try to paint them. We're missing the whole purpose of our existence to follow after Jesus, to be on that road of discipleship. So as we close this morning, I have an honest question for us. How many of us have stopped pursuing the horizon? How many of us have stopped pursuing the horizon? Acts chapter two, verse 17 says this, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters, they will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. And I know we've heard this verse so many times and we've celebrated it from Joel and in Acts. But what is this verse really trying to tell us? What is this verse really wanting us to gain and to understand it wasn't just so that we could encounter God, which is a great thing. It was so that we could pursue him with a life led by the Spirit, pursuing his horizons and his dreams for our lives. That's the whole point of the verse. The whole point of the verse is so that we understand and we know that as we pursue him, those dreams and those horizons will chase us. And no matter our age, no matter our status, no matter what we've done or where we've came from, the call to pursue Jesus is always the same. It's always the same. It's never ending. It is incessant, the call to pursue him. And so remember, one of the most important chapters and stories in the whole Bible begins with these characters, a rejected preacher and missionary, a businesswoman, a victim of human trafficking, the corrupt legal system, and a suicidal soldier. Through these people and through these stories, as Paul pursued Jesus and the dreams pursued him, this is how the church became, came into existence in Western culture and civilization. When we live by faith, when we live by the spirit of Jesus, being constrained is not a punishment and it is not a problem. It is actually permission for us. It is permission for us to engage in what he is doing and where he is doing it. Not only in the broader cultural sense, but in each one of our lives individually. We are always supposed to be a people of the wind. Where the spirit goes, we go. Where the spirit blows, we follow. That has always been our destiny. And it's interesting to me that Romans chapter eight, verse 11 tells us that the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead is the same spirit that is alive in every single one of us today. That spirit that is moving and breathing and living. It's the same spirit that is still casting stars and universes and galaxies into existence. It's still expanding. If you talk to a scientist, they're gonna tell you that the universe is growing 
How? Because of God, because of a sovereign, all-powerful, holy God who is still speaking, who is still moving, who is still breathing. And what I'm asking you today is to live your life by the Spirit. Follow Jesus and the dreams will actually follow you because as followers of Jesus, when he moves, we move. And my hope today is that you will make a move, not just towards an encounter with God, but towards a deeper, more intimate relationship with Jesus. The road to discipleship has only one destination, one true horizon. And our main objective is to chase Jesus and let the dreams chase you. Let me pray for us. Father, I thank you so much for your word this morning. God has encouraged and challenged us. Father, I pray right now for every person who's here, who's listening online. Lord, that you would challenge them to understand today that the true call of their lives, the true dreams of their lives can only be found in pursuit of you. And that Lord, through chasing you, the dreams will chase us. And it will give us permission, Lord, to pursue you with an open heart and an open mind and an open hand. God, today I pray that our dreams would really be your dreams and that these true horizons that you're creating us, that you've created us, God, to pursue. Lord, that they would be unending, just as you, your goodness and your love are unending. Lord, we thank you so much for what you're doing right now in the midst of our lives. And we thank you, God, in advance for what you're going to do because of who you are. Lord, we thank you for your grace, your presence, and your power today. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you.